change is inevitable and can often be chaotic. However, when it's fully organized, change can be dynamic, powerful, and progressive. The Organizing for Change podcast will help you move from a spectator to a difference maker and will assist you in bringing positive change to your community, your city, and perhaps of most importance, you. Hosted by Amanda Decker, drug-free community substance use prevention coordinator, mom to many, entrepreneur, and fan of great conversation, Organizing for Change is heard in over 40 countries and every state in the USA. We are delighted that you've joined us today, because after all, we do this for you, and that will never change. Here's Amanda. Welcome to episode 44 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. Thank you all so much for your support. If you'd like to be an insider to the Organizing for Change podcast, simply join our email list. You'll be the first to know about upcoming episodes and you'll get a summary after each episode with links to anything we've talked about emailed right to your inbox. Just click on the link in the notes to join our community today. And I remember sitting in, uh, I was actually sitting in my parents' living room, uh, having a family meeting to discuss me and my addiction. And I remember that last little bit of hope uh, just just left me. And, uh, and I just completely resigned myself to the fact that I was going to be a heroin addict for the rest of my life. And that was today's guest, Joe Rand. Joe Rand is the director of Teen Challenge Massachusetts. Teen Challenge is a faith-based residential program for persons with addiction. Since its first center opened in New York in 1960, Teen Challenge has grown to over 250 centers in 48 states and over 1,000 centers in 95 countries. On today's podcast, you will hear Joe talk about his story, the role his faith has played in his journey, and how he is giving back to others today. I hope today's episode will inspire you. Without further ado, my conversation with Joe Rand. So welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. I'm so excited to have Joe Rand, who is the director of Teen Challenge Massachusetts on the show today. So welcome, Joe. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I would love it if you could just tell folks kind of what is Teen Challenge, what do you do, um, what's it all about? Sure. So I, uh, I oversee uh, Teen Challenge Massachusetts, which is located in Brockton, Massachusetts. It's uh, also the headquarters for all, for all of New England and New Jersey, um, which uh, oversees 10, 10 centers total. Um, our center in, uh, in Brockton is... Uh, is 108 beds. Um, so we're long-term, so we're 12 to 15 months, uh, program. Uh, it's a residential program. So, uh, men that come and stay here, um, they live here. They don't, they don't work off campus. Um, they're, they're, uh, um, fully, uh, fully in, uh, on the, on the property, um, and focused on their recovery. Um, we are a faith-based program. Uh, so we use curriculum that is, uh, academic curriculum that's um, all surrounding the word of God, um, 
uh, our, uh, we, we really want to work on, you know, the character issues as well as, you know, the surface issues and the addiction issues. So, you know, we try to take, um, just, a, an approach, uh, at every aspect we're working on character. Uh, we also have clinical counseling, life coaching, uh, mentoring. Uh, so we're trying, uh, trying to really, um, help the help individuals. We do work therapy as well, uh, which also helps fund the program. Uh, but it's also a way of training. And so right now our vocational training that we do have is uh, we have a carpenter shop that's designed towards helping uh, teach carpentry skills. We have a mechanics garage um, that's teaching the basics of auto mechanics. Uh, we do a culinary program. Uh, we have a chef that, that makes all our meals, but what we also um, teaches a class. Um, and these classes are every Monday. We do these classes every Monday as well as throughout the week um, as we're doing, you know, different projects on campus, but it's more of a classroom approach on Mondays um, while the rest of the week is more like of a full, um, you know, a full kind of working program. Oh, so now when you say teen challenge, I think it, the name throws me off a little bit. So this isn't a program just for teenagers. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good, good point. I, I, it's a, it's a little bit of a, of a PR problem that we have. Teen challenge was, was created uh, years ago, um, and it, when it was first started by uh, Reverend David Wilkerson, it was designed for um, teens in New York City, which is where it kind of got the name. And as we grew, uh, we kind of kept the name. So, um, uh, but our particular center is for men 18 and older. Uh, we have also have a center in Massachusetts for adolescent girls. Um, and um, well, Teen Challenge New England in New Jersey doesn't have a any programs for adolescent boys yet. Um, there are teen challenges across the United States uh, for adolescent boys. We also have a woman's home in Rhode Island that are for services, women 18 and older. Huh. So now there's a bunch of teen challenges all over the country or maybe international too now? Yeah. So Teen Challenge is global. Um, we have uh, we have a teen challenge in, uh, I believe it's over 250 countries. Um, so there's, there's really a teen challenge in every, every state in, um, in, uh, in the United States. We have, um, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it, last I checked, it was around 1400 teen challenges across the, across the globe. Um, we're over, we're, we, uh, teen all the centers in the United States are overseen by teen challenge USA, which is located in, uh, Missouri. Um, and so they kind of provide some oversight. Um, but, like I mentioned, where uh, our region is Teen Challenge New England and New Jersey, we kind of adopted New Jersey in with our New England region. So that's great. So, in talking a little bit, um, kind of about the program, I love to talk a little bit about you and how you got to where you are and your leadership. So, just I typically picture like a leader of Teen Challenge, maybe not being like the same age demographic as you. You're a pretty young leader, um, and just I'd love to hear your story. How did you get to here? And uh, I know you're kind of a recently newer uh, director, if I'm correct. And just yeah. what's that like? And what are some things uh, that are a challenge of being, you know, a new director? What are some of the lessons that you're learning and some of the wisdom that you've gained um, from that? Yes, I, I, I'm much younger than I look. I'm uh, 35 years old, so uh, I'm... Uh, I, I became a director, uh, I think it was about, it was four years ago now. Um, so a little younger than maybe most of, most of the other directors 
um, uh, here. But really, the, my passion for Teen Challenge, my passion uh, to serve uh, the, the community here um, it is because I, I became a part of Teen Challenge in February of 2011 um, when I came into the program as a, as a resident, as a client. Um, I, was, uh, I, was, I was at my most broken and desperate point. And, um, and I remember shortly before coming into Teen Challenge, I remember uh, the last little bit of hope that I had uh, that someone like me could get back to a normal life. Like most people struggling with addiction, uh, my addiction had progressed from you know, a back injury and painkillers to eventually um, a heroin, intravenous heroin addiction. And, um, and I started to recognize, you know, and people around me started started hearing the familiar thing of jails and institutions and death and that um, I, I started to, you know, to believe that maybe, maybe I couldn't get back to, to the way my life was before. Maybe there was no road back. And I remember sitting in, uh, I was actually sitting in my parents' living room, uh, having a family meeting to discuss me and my addiction. And I remember that last little bit of hope uh, just just left me. And, uh, and I just completely resigned myself to the fact that I was going to be a heroin addict for the rest of my life. And, um, and that was hard. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I entered the doors of Teen Challenge. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a chapel message or something I read in, you know, in a, in a book that they gave me. It wasn't even something that the staff told me, although they were counseling and mentoring me. Um, but it was actually, it was actually the, the stories of the men that were in the program that were, you know, seven, eight, nine months in and, and recognizing that they were just like me, only they didn't resemble someone that was just like me anymore. And, uh, and I remember that hope restored. I remember just that little bit of hope coming back. And, uh, and, and uh, I think both of those, those moments in my life were gifts. They're, they're things that helped me today. Um, I remember what it's like to be hopeless. It's a memory that's never left me. And I remember what it was like to, to first have that hope again. And so that's why I'm passionate about the Ministry of Teen Challenge. I, when I graduated, it was, it was a no-brainer. Um, my wife and I it took, took about a 30-second uh, conversation about, you know, whether what I would do next. And she said, you know, you, you owe your life, you know, to, to ministry, to serving God in one way or another and giving back. And what better ministry to serve in than the one that was a vessel to, to bring me, uh, to, to give me this opportunity and to bring me to the Lord and give me this opportunity at sobriety. So um, I just got busy serving and, um, and never thought that I would eventually become a director here. Never, never aspired to. Um, actually didn't apply for it, didn't even know it was a position that was open. Apparently there was, they were taking applications and I somehow missed that, uh, you know, missed that memo that they were looking for someone to fill a um, assistant director role. Um, and even though I wasn't one of the applicants, um, they called me in and offered me the position. Um, I was just busy. I was busy serving. I believe that um, the Christ model, the, the, the model I find uh, that, that Jesus left for us uh, during his ministry on earth was, uh, was to serve, was to get as low as possible and to, to do whatever, um, whatever somebody needs, just be busy serving. And so that's what I was doing. Um, and God honors that God lifts, exalts those people, lifts those people up into, into positions, not so that, you know, that I can now be, you know, settle down and, and, uh, and rest and let others do, but because, uh, you know, he's found that I was faithful with the, the little areas of serving that I had 
And so he's increased that, but not, not so I can, uh, not for any other reason that I can continue to serve at a higher capacity. So, you know, I still, I still, you know, do med calls. If, if somebody's got a headache, I'll go get them Tylenol. Um, you know, I, I, my, the favorite, my favorite part of my job, although it's not, you know, directly my job is still sitting with, uh, sitting with the guys that are, you know, fresh in the program as they come in and, and, uh, and sharing my experiences and, and trying to offer and be that story that gives them hope again. Um, much like, you know, somebody was for me. Um, but I, uh, yeah, no, I, I love, uh, I love what I do. It's, it's not, uh, it certainly never felt like work. Um, it just feels like, a, uh, you know, like an opportunity to, to give, give what I was given to. Absolutely. Thinking you must see just so many stories that kind of sound very much the same, you know, if you think of the people that come into your center, do you ever think that maybe there's like a common theme if something happened before they ever got here, they might never end up in this place? Like how does somebody break that cycle or, you know, saying that I'm sure that many of the guys have families, like how, do they not just pass that cycle of addiction down the yeah. family? You know, so is there something that could be done before people ever get here? And I, I know like in my field, like that's really what we work on, but is there like something that you notice that you say, man, I wish that people had this before they ever got here? Yeah, no, I think education is such a huge part of prevention, uh, you know, of getting out and, um, and sharing, sharing our stories and, and getting, uh, getting a chance to, you know, to, to teach, uh, young people before they get to this point of decision, um, you know, of the dangers of, of, you know, of things, even, you know, marijuana, you know, alcohol, these things. I mean, my, that was my story, um, early on, you know, I was in, in environments where, you know, with, with friends and, you know, maybe at, at friends' houses where parents, you know, had, you know, alcohol available to, you know, to us or, you know, where marijuana was, you know, was easy to, easy to get, easy to smoke. And, and so uh, it's kind of started with that. So I think, you know, educating young people and educating parents is such a huge part of prevention. You know, we will never, based on the work I do, we'll never, we'll never defeat addiction. You know, we have the slogan end addiction, but that won't happen if we continue to treat people uh, by the time they come to Teen Challenge, they're pretty broken. They're pretty desperate. You know, this, like I said, it's long term, so it's never anyone's first option. Um, so we're kind of the the last, the last hope for a lot of people. The last chance. The last, uh, the last thing they're willing to try. Um, but we, but prevention is the only way we're going to stop this. And I think the other model, the other, the other way, the other path that a lot of people take to end up in a place is is also a path that I went down. Um, you know, after messing around with, with drugs and alcohol at a young age, you know, I got married, I had a, had a uh, daughter, you know, I started to kind of put, put some pieces together with, you know, had a good job, um, was moving in the right direction when I hurt my back, um, and got prescribed medication. So I think, you know, that's the other, uh, that's the other area, uh, you know, prevention is, is the healthcare workers and which has changed a lot over the last Ten years for sure that that I since I I came to Teen Challenge, um, but you know not over prescribing, not not allowing you know to get to the point where we're creating uh, addiction problems, you know through prescribed medications. Yeah, so true. I was thinking too a lot of just kind of what young people hear 
like anytime you're in pain for anything, here's a pill. And I'm yeah. not sure if you kind of share that same thought, but it seems like that's just the way our society has dealt with things for a long time is, you know, if you're having a stressful day, go home and get a drink or, you know, go smoke or whatever it might be. And, um, you know, that messaging is really strong. Um, when it comes to talking to your parents and, and teen challenge, what do you say to them, you know, to help them talk to their kids about addiction? How do you have that conversation? Um, or what do you teach them to go ahead and do with their kids? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I get that question a lot, you know, with young kids more so in, you know, in my, in my personal life, if, you know, whether, you know, uh, family, friends, or somebody from a church, we, you know, typically, like I said, we're dealing with, you know, um, you know, people that are, uh, adult age when they come to teen challenge. So less so there, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of parents have asked me, even my own, you know, uncles and aunts and people, you know, what, you know, what, what, uh, you know, if I see anything that could have been done differently, um, or if any advice that I have, and I think it's, I think it's important, you know, it's important to have, you know, an open, uh, uh, relationship with, with your children where, you know, they're able to, to trust and you're, you know, have those conversations. Um, you know, it's something that my wife and I work hard at with our kids is that, you know, there's never anything that they can't tell us on what's happening and what's going on and to be able to have that conversation, um, you know, to just be able to help them. I mean, we're there to, we're there to help them through, you know, difficult, uh, decisions, um, and situations that they encounter in school and, you know, with their friends. Um, so, you know, we, we've really tried to position ourselves as like an asset to them, to help them, not really to, you know, take everything away from them or to, you know, to shield them from things, but to just help them through it so that they can, they, they know how to uh, make decisions. They know how to say no, they know, you know, where their values are. Yeah. Going back to something that you said too, you talked a little bit about like going to friends' houses where there's alcohol available. Do you think at that time, like your parents had any idea that all of these other parents are like all okay? Or is that kind of like a shocker to be like, man, we don't do this out in our home. Like, wow, parents are doing this in their homes. Or do you think it was more like they just kind of figured, oh, this is a thing that kids do. Like how, how, how did that go yeah, I think it's important to know who your friend's parents are, especially now. I mean, um, I think of my own experience, but it, it pales in comparison to what parents today and myself included face with even some of, you know, you, you know, my my children have no idea what a edible gummy bear would look like or pack, be packaged like. So very easily could they come across something like that that's just not you know, that they have no idea is even a danger to them. And so I think, you know, knowing who your friend's parents are and, you know, and even, you know, not, you know, and knowing, you know, what's, what they're okay with, what's in their house, because there's just, there's so many more dangers today than there was when I was a child. Um, and when I was going over to friends' houses. Um, so I think knowing, knowing, knowing your friend's parents, and that's something that, um, you know, gets harder to do. I think, you know, my parents maybe tried to do that in a controlled, you know, in a controlled environment for as long as they could. Um, but eventually, you know, uh, eventually people make, make choices. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a hard thing to do, you know, when some people aren't naturally like the, let's call people, my kids friends on the phone and have the conversation. Sure. 
But um, definitely when I have parents do that for me, it makes me respect them more and think, oh, I yes. want my kid to go to that person's house because we have the same rules and values and, you know, as each other. And um, we both we both have kids and uh, they're entering middle school. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> crazy to think. But oh, true. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so when you think of the role that you're in now, what is the biggest like change or the biggest aha lesson or thing that you've learned out of being the role that you're in now? Yeah, I think that um, in some ways, you know, in some ways I, I had one of my one of the benefits I had coming into this position was that um, that I recognized, you know, my own, you know, my own limitations that I, there was no, you know, that I wasn't. Uh, that my, giving my best each day wasn't, wasn't going to be enough. And so, um, so every morning, you know, I wake up with the realization that, um, that I need God, I need God to use me in that day. I need him. I need his wisdom. Um, I need to, I, I need, I need to, uh, to allow him to work through me in order to accomplish. I think a lot about when, uh, when Jesus first called Peter, um, you know, he told Peter, uh, after he performed the miracle of, of filling up the net with fish, with fish, um, Peter's response was he, he fell at the feet of Jesus and said, depart from me. I'm not worthy. And so a lot of the times when I get up in the morning, that's my, that's really my first thing. I, I kind of get down on my knees and I just say, God, I'm not worthy uh, today to, you know, to, to do what the, the things that you've called me to do. I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I recognize my own limitations and that allows me to come into each day with a humility um, that allows me to serve the way um, God intended us to serve. In Philippians 2, it talks about very clearly, uh, you know, placing other people as more important than yourself um, and to take the mind of Christ, which was to take the form of a servant and come with a, with a willingness to, to serve and, and not place any, uh, any, anybody uh, ahead of your own, your own needs or your own, your own thing. So, that's a, that's a big part for me. Um, and, and then the, the, the other thing, the other thing that allows me to do is, you know, I think, I think I have a, a great team, but we cultivate that, you know, I help cultivate that team and my team, you know, we, we do for each other, um, by just having that same attitude of, uh, you know, where the, the staff on, on, I oversee about 20 staff and apprentices. Um, and we all have that same like-mindedness, that same goal in mind, you know, that we're, we're here you know, I, my job doesn't exist without the resident, the newest resident that walks through the, the, the doors of the program. Like they're not there. They're not there so that I have a, a job, you know, I'm, I'm here for them. And, uh, and it, that, that small, that small thing can kind of change the mindset of each day and allow me to go in with a, with the willingness to do whatever I can for each person, um, that comes in. Wow. Um, it makes me think too, like, so what if you're somebody who doesn't share the same faith, like, and they are interested in the program because, you know, like maybe it's, it just seems like a better fit, but they don't share the same faith. So how does Team Challenge work with those people? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't require that you have a faith in God or, you know, that you come from a Christian background at all, you know, to be a part of the program. It, all, all that we really require is just, you know, to be open minded, um, that you, you know, that there's, uh, that, you know, the, there's things that we'll ask you to do that may be contrary to, you know, what you've been taught growing up. But um, I think that, you know, none of it's harmful. It, you know, a lot of it follows the same, the same principles of AA. 
you know, which was founded on Christian principles as well. So, you know, we're going to ask you to take a look at, you know, um, different characters, character, characteristics in your life, the characters, qualities in your life, um, and assess that. And we will, we will teach you to line it up with what the word of God says, but it's not necessary that you, you know, that you are a Christian and you know what the word of God says, you know, we hold chapels, um, four times a week. And so if you're open to, you know, being a part of that environment and receiving some encouragement from that, then, uh, then, you know, then it's for you, this program's for you. The other thing is, is that, you know, we, we, we teen challenge, uh, uh, USA, uh, we did a study. Um, I believe it was done by Evangel university did a, a study on the success rate of a teen challenge graduate, uh, post-graduation that they remain, you know, drug and alcohol free, productive members of society, maintaining a job. Um, and I think, I believe the success rate was around 79% for a teen challenge graduate. Um, so that's a huge number. And even if you say, okay, you know, that seems unrealistic. I want to, I'm going to cut that number in half. And just for the sake of conversation, let's turn that 80% to 40%. That still blows every other program out of the water. And so if you're serious about wanting to change and you're, you're willing to try anything and, uh, then, then, you know, try something different and, you know, and, and, uh, teen challenges is definitely a different approach, but you know, that's, that's where the difference of success rate comes as well. Is there anything else that you think, Oh, be sure to talk about this. Are we miss saying this that you want to add before we close up? Maybe, uh, so just, you know, just to touch, like I had mentioned before, you know, we've in the last couple of years, you know, Teen Challenges focused, you know, we wanted to, you know, we brought on uh, two clinicians. So we have uh, one full-time, one part-time clinician um, that focuses on individual sessions. We also do groups uh, every week. So understanding that, you know, the, the clinical side, you know, it's not just a faith-based side in the sense that we're going to, you know, we're going to preach a message or we're going to, you know, pray with you and then kind of leave you on your own. You know, we, we understand that, you know, people are working through um, past traumas and uh, PTSD and, and all kinds of issues that um, that existed before addiction and what has caused people to, you know, to try to uh, fill that void. So um, kind of taking that full phase approach and helping people through that, those things as well has been a has been a huge step for for Teen Challenge. We've been doing it for um, we've been doing it for about uh, five years now. Um, in Brockton, but but uh, but Teen Challengers across the United States are taking that model, and so we decided uh, about a year ago, two years ago, to take a, take it another step. Um, we recognize that you know the success of Teen Challenge has a lot to do with the long term model, and by no means do we think that a short term model is a is a is a is a proper solution. Although for some, that's you know that's what they need, whether it's a whether it's a touch up or they've had a brush with addiction and, you know, in a, in a 30 day program is, is suitable. But we also recognize that even though the long-term model is what we believe in, we also recognize that we were missing a whole group of people that never came into teen challenge or never even finished the phone conversation. The moment they heard 12 to 15 months click, you know, they hang up and, you know, nothing, no more, nothing more to say. Um, for some people, you know, maybe they have a mortgage they're trying to pay or, a job they can't leave, a family member that relies on them, and they can't they can't 
you know, set aside, you know, 12 to 15 months of their life to come to Teen Challenge. So in recognition of that, we actually opened a short-term program um, uh, last, uh, about a year ago, almost, almost been a full year now. And so it's got the capacity um, for 32 beds, although right now we're kind of opening slowly. So we're at eight beds right now. We're going to be going to 16 real soon. And this is a completely different model. This is a, uh, it's called CSS, Clinical Stabilization Services. And it is for, it's, a, it's paid through insurance. So unlike, you know, our uh, long-term model, which is not an, uh, we don't take insurance. It's either private pay or scholarship. Um, this is an insurance paid program. Um, you can get, you can, you know, an individual can get there through a referral from a detox or a hospital and that sort of thing. And so it's been really good at, um, at getting people through the door. And then it's right on the same campus. It's right across the parking lot. So our model of believing in long-term is even though these individuals are only coming in for 30 days, it's introducing them to the Teen Challenge model, the long-term model. They're having meals with us. They're invited to come to our chapels, although it's not mandatory. Um, and they're spending their free time. They might, they're mixing in on our, some of our groups. And so it's a way for, um, you know, it's a way if you're unsure about, you know, wanting to, to do a long-term program, it's, it's kind of a way to introduce it. And we are taking those individuals that want to come. There's been about three that have, since we opened that have decided after coming to short-term that they want to do long-term and they just make that transfer rate over. They keep their time and they continue on with their mission. So I think that, you know, I think that's been a huge way. It goes back to my story of Peter, you know, casting the net, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus filled those fish, you know, it wasn't the way the fishermen, uh, uh, the fishermen knew to fish, you know, he said to cast out into deeper waters and they were like, listen, we've been fishing all day. We're not catching anything. It's, it's time to, it's time to bring it in and, and cut our losses. But he wanted them to cast their nets into deeper waters. And uh, I feel like that's kind of what we did. It's not, it's not necessarily the model that we, uh, that we knew worked and that we, you know, that, that Teen Challenge was dedicated to, but it was, uh, but we cast our nets into deeper waters and we're finding that God's really filling our nets right now with, with people that need our help. And, um, and it's been a, been a really, uh, it's been a success so far. We're looking forward to opening more beds and continuing to, you know, progress that model so that we can continue to feed into the, the long-term. This has been great, Joe. I really appreciate your willingness to share your story and just what yeah. you're doing and just appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to empower coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring positive change to their communities. To learn more about us or to get the show notes from today's episode emailed to your inbox, log on to our website. We hope you are inspired by today's show and keep up the great work. See you next time.